Hello. <clears throat> Hello, everybody. Hello. Do you ever have like dreams of being a beatbox dude? You when you were in middle school, you're like, I can't rap, but I can beatbox. Oh uh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> I did. I tried to rap too. I actually cut a rap record at June Apple when I was in middle school. Did you ever try to beatbox and rap at the same time? Could dudes do that? Yeah, I've, there's people that do that. Yo! Could you imagine beatboxing today, though? Like, you'd get clowns so hard. Oh, yeah. Is that Unless not cool like, anymore? <laughs> you don't listen to much rap music nowadays, do you? I would have show up at the Cypher in downtown Whitesburg like, Hey, fellow kids! There is nothing cornier than a white beatboxer, dude. A 33-year-old white beatboxer. Yeah. Oh, man. Painfully oh. uncool. Okay. Let's get a level here. Are you um, recording? Uh, yeah. Okay, so am I. When the twilight is gone... And the songbirds are singing. Okay. Well, um, I have a bit of news for you. Oh God. In, in this in this week's news, that's way too on the nose. Uh huh. Um, this is in the front page of the Mountain Eagle. On the front page of the Mountain Eagle. Um, is a picture of a of a vehicle. With a smashed windshield. And and next to it is a... You know one of those manhole covers? Yeah. With the large number two painted on it. Larry Everidge, a funeral director and member of the Whitesburg City Council, was returning to Letcher County early on the morning of November 27th when someone threw a water meter cover from an overpass under which Everidge was traveling on U.S. Highway 23 in Kingsport, Tennessee. The cover, which had the number two painted on it, crashed through the windshield of Everidge's Chevy Tahoe and landed in the vehicle's back seat. It missed his head by six inches. Six inches. Dude, imagine... Larry was a former colleague of mine. I like Larry a lot, actually. Man, imagine cheating death like that. Imagine cheating death like that and being the funeral director. The fu... <laughs> Yeah, it is. It is a wee bit too on the nose. But dude, imagine how goddamn stupid it is—a manhole cover. Somebody just threw. It's like a Simpsons thing. <laughs> <laughs> Who the fuck goes around throwing manhole? Who is he- like strong enough to do? I don't. I could not do that. Dude, yeah, that's another thing, dude. Those things are like fucking two hundred pounds. Dude, I love the goddamn story about this though. Like that the Mountain Eagle wrote up about it. I mean, you know that Sam Adams could not resist saying this in the opening sentence. It's just like... Hold well, on a second. Is Sam doing like the uh, in cold blood Truman Capote thing? Yeah, dude. Look. Listen to this sentence. Whitesburg City Councilman and Funeral Director Larry Everidge nearly ended up on his own embalming table after someone threw a 40-pound manhole cover through the... <laughs> Sam, shut the fuck up. Nearly landed on his own embalming table. <laughs> I wonder what Larry thought the fuck happened. 
Well, that's got to be like a jarring experience. Like that goes through, and you're like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> and you just look back there; it's a manhole cover. Everidge, a Vietnam veteran, said his first instinct was to keep driving and get out of the danger zone. Dude, that is that is another thing I had to think about. Larry has like flashbacks and stuff, man. He has like severe. Damn. Uh, so you know, like, like that is like the cruelest thing to have to happen to a guy that spent his like ten years in a fucking jungle. <laughs> uh, I I read that. I mean, there's there's so many details that make it so on the nose. He's funeral director manhole cover being thrown and furthermore the number two painted on the manhole cover what does that signify who receives number one that's what i want to know maybe okay i got a theory maybe somebody was trying to systematically take out the whitesburg city council with manhole covers and number two (laughs) which refers to the seat that larry held (laughs) so somebody needs to check on Derek bartow That would be an excellent... Maybe he got number one dropped on his head. No, tr- this could be Sam Adams' true Truman Capote breakthrough. We have a true crime scenario here. Someone is out to kill the other city council members, the other Whitesburg city council members. That's the most... That, that's among the most insane things I've ever heard. Not, yeah. not that people are trying to kill the Whitesburg city council. That makes sense. But... <laughs> In this fashion. <laughs> Imagine being able to throw a 40-pound manhole cover. You know how, like, in... Was it shot put? What's it called in... in uh, discus. Tra- discus. Track and field. If you could just yeah. throw a 40-pound manhole cover, like one of those things. Uh, manhole cover's just 40 pounds. That seems a little light for a manhole cover. It does seem a little light. You would think... I don't know. Least- maybe maybe Sam Adams just, like, weighed it. Like, got it out of Larry's back seat and weighed it. So, for the story... <laughs> Don't touch anything. It's oh. an important detail in my story. Oh, man. It survives close call. Pretty crazy. Pretty, pretty yeah. crazy. Um, well, anyways, that's that's this week's local flavor uh, story. I like how in, like, late night shows, you know... They'll like pick a story from like Whitesburg City, Whitesburg Police Chief passes out in Taco Bell line, and then run with it for like a week. Yeah, that's did a they, good run. Did, I, did they even run that? I know Vice picked that up when that happened to Ty, but did, I don't think the Mountain Eagle ran that, did they? I don't think they did. They might have. I don't know. <clears throat> I don't know. Um. Isn't it funny, man, you both have brothers that have passed out in Taco Bell drive throughs <laughs> Like, that's the hallmark of, of, of disease, you know what I mean? It's- well, it happened again uh, in... I saw... Uh, there's another story like it. Kentucky mayor falls asleep in White Castle drive through Um... I don't know. I mean, I get it. I get it a little bit. You know what I'm saying? I understand. You get there, you're fucked up, you want to get some food, the line's long, the AC's on, you got it in park, (laughs) you just kind of nod off a little bit. It it does, you you can see how it's feasible, yes. Yes. 
Yeah. Um, well, I'm assuming that you all tuned in this week to hear the true Billy take on the Ron Howard cinematic feature film, Hillbilly Elegy. A beautiful mind. A beautiful mind. <laughs> <laughs> this week Starring we're talking Russell about... Russell Crowe. Is that Russell Crowe? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, um... Ron Howard also directed that Solo movie about the young Han Solo. Um, really? Yeah. Um, what else he's got? Apollo 13. Frost Nixon, which is great. Frost, Frost Nixon. Nixon's a good movie. He's got, um, he's got a cut. He's got... Ron Howard's got a lot of middling shit in his catalog, and he's got some bangers in his catalog. He's he's not Scorsese, who just can't miss. You know what I mean? I honestly, I wondered about that um, because there is that scene in Hillbilly Elegy where JD, you know, meets his new stepdad, and his new stepdad has a framed poster of Casino. And like, yeah. you're supposed to think that the stepdad sucks, that he's a bad stepdad. But if you had a stepdad with a framed poster of Casino, I mean, like, what what is he trying to tell us there? Is that a slight against Scorsese? I don't know. You know, I, my first thought was it might have been one of those things, like, you know how in The Hills Have Eyes, there's a Jaws poster on the trailer, but it's, like, ripped in half? Oh, yeah. And it was, like, I, I think it was uh, <laughs> Wes Craven's, like, kind of jab at uh, Spielberg. Yeah. So maybe it's one of those things. Maybe it was, like, a... Oh, this everybody's gonna think this dad sucks and is like this crazy guy, so I wanna throw a shot at Scorsese. <laughs> I, I couldn't understand it. I, I don't know if okay, so I don't think Ron Howard has really any good he I liked Frost Nixon, but I'd probably I need to go back and watch it, but Backdraft Backdraft was kinda good. I liked uh or I liked it when I was a kid anyway. See the thing is it's like all these movies. I liked when I was a kid, but I don't like Cocoon and Willow and Bagdraft. Ron Howard did Willow. Yeah, I loved Willow when I was little. Um, God, that was the most wholesome thing I ever said. I, I loved Willow when I was little. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it feels like there is. If there's any unifying thread among his films post Apollo 13, which include A Beautiful Mind, Cinderella Man, Frost Nixon. How the Grinch Stole Christmas, <laughs> um, right. the Da Vinci Code, Angels and Demons, like he did all those. Um, he did the Dan Brown adaptations. He did, yeah. Man, we know what he does. He's like a, one of those contractors that just like underbids everybody, like on the big book movies. Yeah. Like Scorsese would have never did Hillbilly Elegy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Has, has Scorsese ever adapted a book? Oh yeah, Goodfellas was an adaptation. Uh, adaptation. Was it? Yeah, the guy who wrote it was Hank Henry Hill or whatever. The, you know. Oh, okay. It's a it's Henry Hill's book. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, no, he's done several adaptations. I think Wolf of Wall Street was an adaptation. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, that's right. It's like yeah, it's like based in part on yeah. But I mean, he doesn't have like any like. <laughs> I'm gonna render this book. <clears throat> you know what I mean? As far back as I guess, I re- yeah, I guess no, I guess Wolf of Wall Street is the name of that book, though. So I guess he does have several. You know the opening scene of Goodfellas when they're putting what's his name in the trunk of the car and he slams the car door shut and you got that amazing zoom in on Ray Liotta's face. It's like as far yeah. back as I remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. 
Um, Goodfellas is a perfect movie. Casino is a perfect movie. But if if Scorsese had done Hillbilly Elegy, um, you've got the opening scene. What is the open? I mean, like the opening scene. The is- opening scene, and it's just like, it's just like this. You see, you know how Scorsese puts his mother in every movie. Yeah, yeah. He just got his mom to play Mamma, <laughs> and she would just be like in like an Italian New York Brooklyn accent. She'd have been like, uh. JD, do you like to suck dick? And then he was zoomed in on JD's face and just froze there. And then he would just he would just said, "When people ask me where I'm from, I say Ohio, but really that's not my whole story." And then he would pan to Jackson, Kentucky, and Scorsese did a much better job of depicting it. I'm sure. As far back as I remember, I always wanted to be a loser. As far back as I can remember. I always wanted to be a hillbilly. Yeah. Jesus Christ, man. Well, we, um, <clears throat> if you're tuning in for the Hillbilly Elegy episode, we've got some bad news for you. <laughs> we decided not to. <laughs> <laughs> what else is there? We're to running say? a skeleton crew for one. Yeah, we're running a, that is true. It's TNT, baby. And we've already talked it to death, me and you. I mean,. On multiple podcast appearances in private, um, I do want to run with the theory though. We brought this up on the Chapo episode, but but I do, I really do think, and and we never fully developed this point, but it does kind of seem like in the movie, J.D. Vance has the character and the actor has more of a romantic chemistry with the actor playing his sister. Than he does with his girlfriend. <laughs> oh, a hundred percent. There is still one shot that I cannot make sense of in that movie. So they're in the shoe store where she works at. Yeah. And like he's standing there in the aisle, and it shows the the shot of her walking away and that fat ass just going <laughs> side to side, and JD falling it every step of the way, and it pans back to him, and he has a smile on he's his face. He's looking at her ass. Dude, I, I, you know what I have to think? I have to think that was like a Ron Howard joke. Like, oh, fuck your sister, fuck your cousin's thing. And he threw that in there as kind of an Easter egg that's like actually a hillbilly joke. Oh, my fucking God. Because I didn't read that scene any other way than the guy, the guy wanted to fuck his sister. <laughs> I'm with you, man. I'm with you. There was no romantic chemistry between him and his romantic partner. But there was something between him. Yeah, and he just he just yelled at her a lot. Yeah. Usha, what I do with all these fucking forks? What I do with all these? And then like, yeah, yeah. And then it's like he's like at the barbecue. He's like she's like just being like a very sweet partner and like, hey, can, is there any way I can help? Can I come home and like stay with her while you do your interview? You don't fucking <laughs> understand what you be getting into, Usha. You just don't fucking understand. <laughs> it's like goddamn, dude. Just just, just try to be helpful. <laughs> Yeah, um, the more I thought about it, after we had talked about it and after we had watched it, the thing that I find so fascinating about it is conservatives spend so much goddamn time talking about how soft Americans have gotten, how we're all so snowflakes, the libs are snowflakes, we want to talk about our trauma, we want to talk about our triggers, um, you know, PC this and that, safe spaces... And the entire film was a guy bellyaching over how hard he had it in life. And it wasn't even that... 
I mean, like on the grand scheme of things, in the on, on the sort of on the grand mosaic of of American life, it it, mm-hmm. it wasn't even in like the top five percent worse American experiences. You know what I mean? Like it was, and furthermore, it was very obvious that he had retconned quite a bit of it to fit into this very specific sort of. Oh, hundred percent. It didn't even chart in the top five percent of hillbilly experiences. <laughs> Dude, I went to high school with guys that like. We're working on a job site and would take a goddamn coffee pot, scoop up like fucking porta potty water, and like boil down eighties to like shoot up on the job yeah. site with. Oh yeah, like that's hell. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> this motherfucker never even had an opioid addiction, and from what I could tell, like his like only his mom had one in the the story. Like nobody that was like his grandparents or anybody that was like instrumental in it or something. I don't know. Right. It's just. It feels like I'm not I'm not discounting, you know, his working class bona fides or whatever, but it's just it's just like in terms of like compelling like oh my god, harrowing like experiences even for like the demographic it doesn't even chart. Yeah. It was a big wine fest. That's that's all you can really say about it. It was someone just fucking whining about how hard they had it. It's like shut the fuck up, man. <laughs> no one cares. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I well, anyway, I want to say this. I want to make a pledge here that we just never talk about this guy again. And we've said this several times in the intervening four years since we started this thing by talking about this guy. But I would just like to heretofore say that like we're not going to deal with this anymore until like maybe he comes out with hillbilly elegy too. This time it's. <laughs> This time it's personal, <laughs> and uh, Michael Bay does uh, does the film adaptation. Oh my god, that would be a good. And, movie. It's, and it's him just going back to Jackson and killing all those guys that tried to <laughs> hold him underwater in the first scene of the movie. That's right, motherfucker. I am from Ohio, bitch. My my, my dream film we should make is to just do like a hodgepodge of. Appalachian movies or just movies set in eastern Kentucky and like all the universes collide so we go get like Liam Neeson we go get Steven Seagal we go get whoever played J.D. Vance yeah and we just like John and it's Boy. like a Hunger Games thing yeah you put them in a yeah 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 I think that sounds good but put them in like a, a go ahead go ahead I'm sorry no you go ahead nah like I a Mad Max Thunderdome like... type situation but with yeah, all the, that's what I was yeah Yeah. The thing about this movie is that um, five percent of it takes place in Appalachia, and even has anything to do with stereotypes or any. I mean, like once again, I don't really give a shit about any of that. This movie could have been the most offensive, insulting, stereotypical, whatever, and I, and that would have been pretty low on my list of of uh, objections to it. I feel like. Oh, Um, dude, I don't care. Yeah, I I don't care about any of that shit. Yeah, it's whatever. Um, but this movie didn't. That was even... one of those common. I'm sorry. There's like, there was one of those like common things where like people were saying, "Oh, it's not his politics." I'm challenging on this. It's like <laughs> his misrepresentations of the Appalachian people. Four thousand likes, you know, sixteen hundred retweets. No, who cares, dude? Uh, like the hillbilly like caricature shit is all over pop culture. You can't watch The Simpsons without seeing that. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that. That's like that charts extremely low. It's very low-hanging fruit. I mean, it's literally... 
yeah, you need two brain cells to be able to put two and two together about that. It requires right. no analytical critique or anything. Yeah. Also, it's just pussy shit. <laughs> yeah, it's really funny. Um, the film didn't deliver that. And so, there. I mean, there is an entire industry of people who, you know, like to sort of, you know, decry that sort of representation in film. Um, and... Uh, Maybe and maybe even early on we we fell into that category. I don't I don't think so, but maybe <clears throat> we may have been the progenitors. But like <laughs> the cool guys we've are, we've moved on from that to contrarianism. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Doomer cringe contrarianism. Alright. Um. But I mean, like there is a a, a storied tradition of Appalachia in cinema, right? I mean. There is Appalachia, and then there's a place in cinema that is Appalachia that this movie didn't quite tap into. Me personally, there's a big, there's a big opening, my friend. There's a big opportunity. We're not fully exploiting this whole Appalachia thing as well as we could be. For example, yeah. why aren't we? Do, where is Appalachian surrealism? You know, why, why is that an, yeah. a, a genre that's not emerged yet? Why have we not tapped I'm into it? I'm with you, man. <laughs> I'm with you, man. I'm with you. Yeah, it's uh, there's a uh, there's a there's a whole other level of exploitation we should expire uh, expire aspire to. Yeah, like imagine if Lynch had done Hillbilly Elegy. Imagine if David Lynch had tackled Hillbilly Elegy. <laughs> Dude, you know, like what if the Safdie brothers did Hillbilly Elegy? That shit would yeah. rock. <laughs> yeah, he's got twenty four. That is the funny thing about. This movie, and we pointed this out in the Chapo thing, like, 50% of the movie takes place in 24 hours. And that 24 hours is completely devoid of any of the markings of tension, drama, suspense. I mean, it all just occurs in a vacuum. It just plops things right down in the middle of it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like, to me, it's like whoever wrote this is like, okay, we need some sort of candor to, like, frame this boring-ass story with. So let's make it the classic, I have to get from one place to another, and i got a short time frame to get there. Yeah. You know, it, that classic, you know, that, that classic, format. Yeah, that classic format. But there's uh, cool ways you can do that. Like on Chapo, like I said, you know, the you could do the Warriors. You know what I mean? He stops at that gas station in New Jersey, a couple of guys come around the corner and say, what are you doing around here? You're not from around here. Try to shake him down a little bit. Or, and it's the Italian mafia. Or... And then you keep going. <laughs> or, uh, uh, on the other uh, earlier note, that scene in Goodfellas where Ray Liotta's, like, seeing helicopters and, like, what's-her-name's got to get her hat. <laughs> oh, yeah, dude, that would, like, that would rule! That would They made the most boring possible film, and they could have, like, they could have really done something with this. No, there is so many... Po this is the thing I kept coming back to when I was watching this movie. Why the fuck did they stay so... Uh, you know, why did they adhere so strictly to the source material? They stripped out all the politics but kept all of the plot points and characters intact. And it makes no sense. Strip, Leave out the JD character. Or if you're going to keep him, make him cool and likable. And then turn it into, yeah, 24 hours, uh, got to get to the Roxbury or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, right, make right. it fucking interesting or something. Play around with the script a little bit. The the writer, the person who wrote the script wrote <clears throat> this, um, 
that Guillermo del Toro movie a few years ago, The Something of Water. What was that movie Shape called? Shape of Water. Yeah. Yeah, Shape of Water. It made no sense to me. I, I mean, that was... I never that saw was that movie. Film. But, yeah. Uh, that was good. She also wrote, like, um, for Game of Thrones and stuff, so maybe that makes sense, because Game of Thrones completely <laughs> went off the rails, so... Um, it uh, kind of makes sense. The same person writes for Game of Thrones wrote Shape of Water. Yeah, I, um... Like, it's really weird, though, how anybody could watch it and just find it enjoyable. Because the li- the main character is not identifiable. He's not likable in any way. Very off-putting. The, the plot is very disjointed, and it sucks. Yeah, anyways. Yeah. yeah. We, we said we weren't going to talk about it. <laughs> And now it's over. So, now it's over. time to move on. Um, but well, if you thought uh, we were going to move on from Appalachia, you're wrong. <laughs> but it's now the time that I should float my Dolly conspiracy. I want to hear. You called me last night frantically at about eight fifteen p.m. and said, "I've got it, man. I finally figured it out. I've got it." So tell me what. And I told you to save it. So tell me what you got. I stumbled on something. We were talking about Dolly the last time we were talking about Dolly. Uh-huh. I think I had said something kind of offhand. I took some heat for it. You know, I said that, you know, there are some similarities between Dolly and Donald Trump in that <laughs> they both sort of made their money licensing their name to stuff. Um, they're both sort of, um, you know, heroes of their own individual political bends in like a way that's unimpeachable you know what i mean like right. they can do no wrong but whatever right i think the democrats are making a play to make dolly their donald trump i don't i'm not saying they're going to run her for president or something like that because they don't even have that much political imagination right uh but i do think that there, it's no coincidence that, like, all of a sudden, Dolly Parton, who has not really been a, really, I mean, has, I mean, has been a star her whole life, but has not been like, you know, like a matinee idol in some time, or you know, put out like a, a record that was like, oh shit, yeah, with, like across generations for a long time. You know, mo- most of it is nostalgia. Most of it is people like rediscovering Jolene and right. you know her back. Stuff you know what I mean? It's not even like Loretta Lynn who had that album with Jack White a few years ago, or you know what I mean? Like some of these older artists who come back and, and collaborate with a younger, or like Al Green doing an album with Questlove. You know what I mean? Like it's she's right. not even done anything yeah, like, like that. Like Dolly doing an album with like Frank Ocean would be cool or something like that. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. But like, yeah, uh, but yeah, I just think that they're that they're making a play for sort of, um, you know. She's like they're like going to be their like sort of unimpeachable pop culture sort of signifier that they try to use to, um, you know, galvanize whatever the hell this project is that they're attempting. <laughs> and the funny thing is, is I'm not even sure Dolly's a Democrat. <laughs> She's not openly and probably not even privately, but if you do track the trajectory of when and how she became a sort of meme over the last couple of years. When did it start? I would say it probably started in the sort of early 2010s, right? Maybe around the middle of Obama's term. 
Well, it sort of when whenever the hillbilly chic thing came into play, and you started seeing the rise of like, you know, the sort of high toned like Southern cultural resurgence, like you know, Bitter Southerner magazine came out, and then like you had like Oxford American, you know, that's yeah, Oxford American, all these these sorts of things became uh, sort of more culturally relevant and sort of desire, you know, like you had the restaurants that served drinks out of mason jars even though like all mason jars mason jars are kind of hard if you get the the wide mouse they're kind of hard to drink out of because of the way they you always spill it on yourself yeah. that's what i'm saying uh but i think that dolly is sort of like um the god king god queen of that whole sort of movement uh and i think that it's like Probably, honestly, what it is is maybe the Democrats are trying to use her to appeal to rural America again, not realizing that Dolly Parton is like, uh, by this point, has spent you know six and a, six decades, five six decades, being an insanely wealthy entertainer, business person, and uh, not you know poor little girl from Pigeon Forge. Like they have to have some way to reconnect with rural America and so the only I see what you're saying the only card they have left is through some is mediated through some sort of cultural signifier or or person personality like they and what they, better than Dolly Parton who is sort of universally thought well of you know what yeah, I mean yeah like they're not going to offer any kind of policy solutions at all definitely none of that so the no. only way they can do it is through some sort of cultural signifier Right. They're, what they're going to do is they're going to give Dolly the Presidential Medal of Freedom. <laughs> they're going to... Um, you know what would be hilarious is if Trump gave Dolly the Presidential Medal of Freedom before the Democrats had a chance to. <laughs> I want that to happen so bad. I want to write Donald J. Trump personally and say, listen, your last will and testament before leaving office should be... You give Dolly Parton the Presidential Medal of Freedom and just rob the Democrats of that opportunity to co-opt that. Oh, my God. Has she said anything about Trump? I don't know, man. Like, when she came out this summer and she was like, Black Lives Matter because, of course, Black Lives Matter. And it's like, well, how long have they mattered? You only disbanded the, you know, the Dixie Stampede in 2017. Right, right. <laughs> um... Well, I, I can easily see a scenario. So, okay, so the whole Biden thing, the whole Biden, and this is probably a good sort of segue into the next portion of this. The whole Biden thing, and you're starting to see this with Obama coming out of the woodworks. Haven't heard of this fucking dude in four fucking years, and then all of a sudden he's on every major news headline and every viral video you see, you know, every tweet, like... We're getting. You know what he's Obama doing, don't you? He, he's running interference for Joe Biden. Like he's trying to keep Joe Biden Absolutely. from like showing up on TV with like doo doo like running off of his leg because he forgot to wipe or something. You know <laughs> what I mean? Because he's fucking senile. Common mistake. So like, Obama definitely views the Biden era as his third term. Absolutely, yeah. And yeah. but even more, even more fundamentally, you see this with his new memoir the title of it a promised land the whole premise of the biden thing is unity they've said this multiple times we're doing the unity coalition the promised land coalition or whatever the whole idea is 
We're uniting all of the disparate parts of the nation who hate Trump and Trumpism and everything he stands for. But and it's, but but do not want to like take a punitive approach to it. <laughs> absolutely not. No, want to do nothing. <laughs> absolutely not. Want to do nothing about like scourging it from the body politic, or <laughs> or even doing the you know the bare minimum of going after their crimes or anything like yeah. that. Right. Um, it's all premised on this very this paper thin idea of a cultural opposition to Trumpism, not a political right. opposition to him. It is entirely cultural. And so I think that eventually Dolly's going to have to, I mean, she's smart enough to not say anything about Trump, I think, unless she has already and, I'm, and I've missed it. But I do feel like she, I could see her as being one of those people who would be like making some vague statement like, well, we don't like nasty people in our politics or something like that. You know what I mean? Just something really. Well, the, 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 the thing people don't want to engage is Dolly's actually a coward. Yeah, in a lot of ways, right, because right. she's like one of these sort of apolitical people. Like she's exactly the type of person that would say, "I don't, I don't want to get into politics. I just want to be nice to everybody." And then, like you know, da 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 da. And then she cuts a check for an extremely small, comparatively portion of her fortune, and people lose their goddamn mind. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> well, I mean, to me, she fits into this broad coalition. Um, you right. know. Quite perfectly, of people who want to move on beyond Trump and think that it's, furthermore, think that it's behind us. You know what I mean? Think that we can piece together some sort of uh, coalition here to um, reign for a thousand years. When all, all reality, they're going to get rinsed in 2022 midterms and definitely in the 2024 election. I mean, unless the d Republicans can't get their shit together and, and they run someone like Marco Rubio, which is possible. They could fucking do what they did in 2012 and just run... A milk toast, you know, just sort of. I, I like think what I, I think what they're gonna do, or what will gain steam, and I hope it doesn't because it's more sinister than Trumpism in so many ways. Is I think the Josh Hawleys and the Tom Cottons of the world are going to be emboldened, and I think they will even manage to pull the wool over the eyes of a lot of a lot of people that might otherwise oppose them. You know what I mean? Like I see people, like liberals, praise Josh Hawley for saying things all the time. I don't really know what to think about all that. Um, this is a very relevant... I mean, like... If we're talking about J.D. Vance... Um, J.D. Vance goes on Fox News, you know, nightly and talks about how the Republicans should be the class of the working... the party of the working class. And on Labor Day, Josh Hawley and J.D. Vance and American Enterprise Institute and these people release this, you know statement about how the GOP should, you know, start bringing working class people in under its umbrella. So that's what they're yeah. going for. Whether yeah. it'll work or not, I have no idea. Um, my hunch is that it might work a little bit, uh, that you might have a small percentage of the working class who would be like, okay, but here's the rub. I think the working class people who go for, who, who actually buy into that bullshit will be people in um, you know, the trades like oil drilling, pipeline, uh, you know, pipeline laying pipe, <laughs> yeah. um, coal mining, you know, th those, those jobs that um, require a, a certain degree of skills, and they are dangerous. Um, 
Right. But they require a certain level of skill. Sort of gendered, masculine, yes. skilled labor Gen- that's pretty well compensated compared to Exactly. Gendered, masculine, skilled, and more importantly in their schematic, noble labor. And yeah. so you see this even in Hillbilly Elegy in the movie and the book. They don't think... Th- their idea of the working class is one small sliver of the working class. They are not talking about, you know... Grocers. They're not talking about shelf stalkers, stalkers, uh, not stalkers, yeah. um, or gas station attendants. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or waiters yeah, yeah. or wage low wage like service economy yeah. type work. And and, and yeah. so it might work in the sense that maybe they can peel off some of those workers with their appeal to sort of you know masculinity and nostalgia and you know the nobility and dignity of work and all this, but. At the end of the day, seventy to eighty percent of the goddamn economy is service work, and they and they don't want. Those have people. you ever? No, they don't. Have, have you ever? If if any political economists are out there, any politicians are out there that that are interested in starting a movement, what you need to do is show up at the Whitesburg BP at around midnight when third shift is getting ready to start, second shift's letting out. The cops are parked in the parking lot, and then the gas station attendants are in there. You see the full spectrum yes. of male labor. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And you see, I can see how the guys that are, like, working at BP that are, like, doing, like, you know, stocking shelves or working the register or whatever, like, sort of, you know, like, aspire to, like, have one of those other two jobs or something, you know, because of that sort of masculine pressure. Yeah. Not that kind of stuff. And I say that because I've been in those situations before. Yeah. And, uh... Yeah, it's 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 an interesting case study. But yeah, the the people the GOP are targeting are not the guy behind the register. No, it is those guys out in the parking lot. It's the guys getting walking in there with like coal dust all over their face. To, yeah, you know. I mean, in some re- in some respects, they've already succeeded in doing that. I mean, the Friends of Coal campaign was the perfect example of that. Yeah. Um, it was an attempt to unite one sliver of the working class with CEOs and bosses at the expense yeah. of the rest of the working class, nurses, teachers, service workers, etc. Um, right. you know, so some, in some ways they've, they've succeeded in that, um, but whether it'll work on a mass scale going forward, I, I, I don't know. I, 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 I really don't know. I mean, I kind of am of the opinion that guys like Josh Hawley and J.D. Vance are extremely uh, uncharismatic like you you can you can use all this rhetoric all you want right you can say all this about like oh the working the GOP needs to be the party of the working class whatever but at the end of the day the people saying that look who's saying that Ted Cruz Josh Hawley J.D. Vance not exactly a who's who of like charismatic Uh, likable people Cruz, Cruz narrowly beat Beto O'Rourke. Right, you know, right. <laughs> you know what I mean? J.D. Vance just laid a fucking egg with this movie everybody got fucking hired in the pants about. And then fucking Josh Hawley's just out here acting like he's blazing this new trail, but he's just an ambitious little fuck with zero charisma. Yeah. I mean, so for for that reason, I kind of feel like the Dem- the Republicans are just as frozen in place as the Democrats. Um, yeah. They, you know, it's it's... It's tempting to think that their political project is ascendant um, just because of, you know, what we see right now, uh, a, a mobilized base of Trump people who um, are very, you know, energetic and, like I said, mobilized mm. and 
um, passionate about this. Um, but also have created a problem for them. Yeah. Like, if you see, like, did you see the other day where the the attorneys for Trump in Georgia are out here, like, holding these massive rallies, encouraging people not to vote for uh, Purdue or Leffler in the Georgia runoffs? Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Their political project is just as riven with contradictions as the Democrats. In yeah. many ways, I mean, maybe not. Maybe it is a little. It does. Ha- I will say this: it does have a little more internal logic than the Democrats. The difference is that the Republicans, have, the Republicans have embraced that, whereas the Democrats are still in some form of denial. I mean, you know, I think maybe the best example of that. Like, look at look at this. This is a headline in the New York Times. Um, as we were just saying a second ago, Obama's been out there, you know, giving interviews left and right. Uh, you know. Getting ready for Obama's third term, etc. This is a this is this is an example of how they're completely incoherent, and they want two things that are inherently in contradict inherently contradictory. Democrats should ditch defund the police and give Ocasio Cortez a bigger platform. Obama says, "Like what? Like I mean, say whatever you want about AOC, but she's one of the biggest advocates of you know some of these things like defund the police and stuff, like." How does that square? How do you say? I mean, like, yeah, you know, it, it's 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 the same thing when Obama, when Biden won the primary and Obama made his speech and was like, "Congratulations to Bernie Sanders." You know, if I were running my campaign yeah. today, my campaign would have looked a lot more like Bernie Sanders. It's just like rhetorical gestures to try to, you know, prevent a mass uh, exodus of like the Bernie left from, you know, the loyal, the party faithful, and. uh yeah, I, it just it, but it like yeah, like you're right in practice. It just makes no sense because let's give somebody a bigger platform, but like let's just shut up about everything they believe in. It's a rhetorical gesture to make the left feel like they're included. Yeah, but it does. It has nothing behind it. I mean, in that same interview, Obama said, "What did he say? Uh, we should ditch catchphrases like defund the police." He says it. Um, if you believe, as I do, that we should be able to reform the criminal justice system so that it's not biased and treats everybody fairly, I guess you can use a snappy slogan like defund the police. But, you know, you lost a big audience the minute you say it, which makes it a lot less likely that you're actually going to get the changes you want done. I mean, my my personal thinking on this um, is not entirely coherent. I myself am not sure. I mean, because I work with a lot of people who are impacted by the prison system and I know how scary the idea of full abolition is to a lot of people but the way I see it is that people like Obama and AOC and Bernie they're not supposed to get out there and tell you what you can't have they're supposed to get out there and if there is a loud enough chorus of people saying something like defund the police or drastically reform how we do policing in the justice system in this country their job is to channel that anger into change and mobilize and mobilize it exactly and and what you're seeing now and what you're going to see the next four years and what i experienced the entire eight years of obama's presidency is that the democrats exist exclusively to keep the left at bay they really do i mean i know that it's a cliche thing to say but there is a contradiction there that the left is going to have to resolve and we pointed this out a few weeks ago you can't simultaneously know that the Democrats do this intentionally to keep the left at bay, and then every four years say, "Well, we got to vote for them." 
At a certain yeah, yeah. point, you have to articulate a politics in opposition to them. Something that says, yeah. we're not going to do it your way anymore. You clearly don't want us in this. You don't want any of the things that we say we care about. And the only way we can actually go and facilitate or channel that rage that is out there is to do this on our own. I mean, Here's the rub, though. Here's the rub, though. Had not Donald Trump been in office, had just... Mitt Romney been in office, or just some normal Republican had been in office, there wouldn't have been this save the Republic outcry. Yeah. No, you're right. There wouldn't have been this voter die stuff. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so, like, like, but like, the Democrats wouldn't have been full on, like, this is the most important election of our lifetimes or whatever. You know what I mean? Trump but bought But they would have been more or less fine if Biden lost to Mitt Romney. Absolutely. Trump bought them four extra years, man. If Jeb Bush had been, you know, he, he was the favorite going into the primary in 2016. If he had somehow won that and was president, you're right. They would have nothing to offer, and they would just take the L. They would offer some up. They would probably offer up Biden, just the same that they did in 2020, but they would take the L and be like, well, we tried, just like they did with John Kerry in 20, 2004. Yeah, and, and then 2024, try with Pete Buttigieg. Yeah, exactly. And, um, I mean, it, it, this bought them some time. I mean, but it, it really is very demoralizing to see, uh, you know, Obama just do the same routine week in and, week in and week out of... Well, the left can't, uh, we can't be having them get out of control now. They can't be saying this. They can't be saying that. Like, it's not unrealistic. Dude, this is the same motherfucker who drank Flint, Flint water to get those people yeah. to shut the fuck over their, their grievances. The same motherfucker who made empty rhetorical gestures to occupy to get them to shut the fuck up. The same motherfucker who did the same thing with Ferguson. I mean, there was mass mobilization during his administration. You know, yeah, if you look at the energy in the streets. Yeah. It's always been there and wherever there's energy in the streets, there is Obama to fucking throw fucking sand on it. The NBA strike? I mean, you there's I mean, Dude, Obama, what Obama did with the NBA strikes is no different from some fucking dipshit on Twitter telling uh, LeBron James to just shut up and dribble. Yeah. It's no functionally the same thing. Yeah, functionally the same thing, but it, it, it provides a veneer of sort of respectability to it and um, institutional legitimacy saying like, oh, you know, we hear you. I mean, but this is really, this is really, <laughs> I was thinking about this last night. What you're seeing now, with Obama being emboldened to say all this stuff, I really do think that, you know, this is partially a function of the fact that, you know, and I guess it's still a little early. We don't know what's going to happen out of the Biden administration. Maybe they'll surprise us. I don't think they will. But it, and Mike, but Mike Davis pointed this out on the episode last week. Bernie got absolutely nothing, nothing wrestled no, no concessions from the Biden administration from the Biden campaign nothing went out there and even campaigned for him um, relentlessly and got in nothing. fact in fact Biden gave the the budget post to somebody who is rapidly anti-Bernie <laughs> Like, like almost co almost comically anti-Bernie you know what I mean yeah and so I really I mean, historians are going to need to be able to square this. I mean, seriously, how the fuck, in 50 years, if you're looking back on this, 100 years, how do you explain the fact that there was this, 
mass movement of people in the early months of 2020 and in 2019 who were gaining momentum, political momentum, who had clear, definable rallies, demands. Rallies that were packing out stadiums. Yeah, exactly. And meanwhile, you had a semi-coherent fucking fossil <laughs> from the Obama era that couldn't pack out a goddamn middle school gymnasium. Yeah. That all of a sudden won the thing. Yeah, and so how do you explain that? And then fast-forwarding from the beginning of the year to the end of the year, and that mass movement getting nothing. I mean, not a single goddamn thing. Not even an empty rhetorical gesture on something like Medicare for All. Nothing. How do you nothing. explain that? Nothing. Also, also, my question to like the Biden people and all this stuff, like, what's your contingency plan for that? Like, what are you going to give them? Like, you know what I mean? Like, you know, right now what they're teasing is like this student loan debt forgiveness and this stuff. But ultimately, that's, that that has, you see how that, that the number they floated at first was $50,000 in relief. They're already down with to $10,000 in relief with a shit ton of qualifiers. The point, yeah, the point with all of that shit is to, <laughs> it's to dangle the big prize in front and then to hand the things out sort of selectively, it's exactly the same method as the ACA, the Affordable Care Act. It really is. Yeah. It's to say, like, oh, here is this grand political vision, this project of, of a universal program, but we're going to hand it out selectively, and you're going to have to jump through all these hopes to do it. And the, and the point is to peel off just enough people in that mass movement to say, well, look, we got this for pressuring him, you know what I mean? Like, at least we got this. Don't fuck it up now. Don't say anything adverse or, to, or you know, try to sh rock the boat too much because, look, at least we got this. It's very, it is very cynical, but effective politicking. It really is because it, it is um, very effective at keeping the left uh, at, at bay, you know? Yeah. I, I don't know. I, 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 I do fundamentally think that a historian looking back on that and seeing the fact that Bernie got zilch out of that would say well, the only way to explain that is that maybe Bernie and them thought that they had to just hang on enough and be conciliatory to them enough to get something out of it. Uh, or the other only other explanation is that we are so far down the tube, like we're so far down the road of extinction and decline that we've lost all political imagination and all political right. will so that even the reformers the firebrands um you know the champions the tribunes of the people even they can't even envision an alternative or a way out and so the only thing they can do is just fold back in and say well maybe next time in 15 20 yeah. years i mean and and that's i think that that's equally possible i don't know yeah uh speaking of obama there was another headline going around this week that i'm sure you got tagged in a lot obama george bush and bill clinton all said that they would take the uh covid vaccine if it was released to build trust among the public man let me tell you what's amazing about all that shit the only people that that's reinforcing confidence in are like Ellen DeGeneres and uh, you know like they don't understand like the, the, the people they're targeting that wouldn't take that you know what I mean like 
you know, sort of like probably rural people with some questions or whatever, you know, whoever it is that they think are like too dumb to know how vaccines would work or whatever. It's like you're doing the exact opposite. Like if Obama's out there ready to take it, it's like that's going to signal to a whole lot of people. Oh, I don't know about that, man. <laughs> people were you know how those lizard people are anyway, man. They they're already immune to it. <laughs> they're giving him sugar water, <laughs> right? People were asking me if this is a devil's milkshake, and I have to say, no, not technically. Um, the thing about the devil's milkshake is people are forgetting the qualifier, the word devil. A devil's milkshake is a bargain with the devil. Now, you did point out on Twitter, there is one bargain they are making here. You made a very funny point. They could be the one in, like, one millionth people who... They get Julianne Barr syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then everybody's head just explodes like, whoa, I'm not taking that shit. And it derails the whole vaccination program. Sets it back ten years. Yeah. I guess that that would be a bargain with the devil, but um, you really think they're going to let Obama take a vaccine? I mean, like, no. I mean, they're not gonna they're not gonna risk that. Um, the 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 devil's milkshake has to be sort of also kind of spontaneous. You know what I mean? You have to you have to yeah. see the the fire in their eyes to be like, "Fucking, I'm doing this." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's not like. It's not like, oh, there's a vaccine that's coming out in three weeks. I'm going to take it publicly on national TV. Yeah. It's like, oh, shit. They're bitching about this, that, and the third. Well, I got to get up there and, like, squash that out. Yeah. And so I'm going to go up and take a sip of this lead water. Yeah, you know yeah, I mean? yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is a very different thing from bathing, cooking, and drinking that shit for 20 years. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So I don't think this is technically devil's milkshake. Sorry to bust your bubbles, but... um. But it would be funny if they did seize out on live television. <laughs> God damn, man. Oh, shit. You know, just on that same note, I mean, I really can't stress enough how, and I kind of pointed this out in that thing I wrote for the Verso blog right before the election, but I really can't stress enough how the vast majority of people in this country... It's a very simplistic way of looking at it, but it is true. And this is why I think I fundamentally trust non-voters more than people who vote at this point. Most of them, anyways. Is that most people are just as disgusted with the Democrats as they are the Republicans. And in going back to the Bernie thing and the lack of political will and imagination, the fact that you wouldn't harness that towards some sort i mean like and i know that it's not easy i know that it's like it's not like you can just come out on tuesday and say like we've got a new party and they're against the democrats and the republicans you know what i mean like it's not like you can just snap your fingers and overnight that be the case right but i would like to see some sort of you know gesture or movement towards some sort of alternative vision that that harnesses that widespread disillusionment and anger or else we're just going to be I mean I can't I can't imagine myself still being invested in politics in the way that I am now in 10 or 15 years if we're just doing the same fucking things over and over again. Nah. Um every 4 years going back in, you know, <laughs> just like getting our imaginations trimmed, you know what I mean, like like having a haircut. You know, I mean, it's just like well this is going to be the one. Yeah, it's I don't know, man. You got to do something. 
you got to do something. But well, what are the denizens of Whitesburg saying about it all? Yeah. Um, do we have any good uh, speak your pieces this week? I'll see what we got here. <laughs> I, I myself, I wasn't thrilled with some of the ones I read, but there were there were a few pretty good ones. I have news for you wannabe god kings. <laughs> the United States is not now, nor has it ever been, a theocracy. Religion does not control our government, and if that's the kind of government you want, you can get the hell out of this country because you can't have it here. That is not negotiable. And if it's a war you're after, then come and get it. <laughs> I do um I do like the premise that there are dozens, perhaps hundreds, perhaps thousands of people, everyday Americans, just like you and me, who um see themselves as demigods. People who yeah. uh, want to really want to lead a religious republic. A theocracy, and our closet ayatollahs. I right. mean, <laughs> I I see myself that way sometimes. Uh, so All I, I you guess want to be God kings. Yeah. If you are a Trump cultist and you still support him as he behaves like a spoiled brat, you might want to have your reality meds checked, buddy. <laughs> he does not represent the true Republican Party. You really need to Google a little something called the Lincoln Project. <laughs> Their videos will show you the truth. I like that one. I added that one because we get we get accused on this podcast every now and then of presenting a revisionist um, appearance or a revisionist vision of, of Appalachia. And I just want to say that there is at least one hillbilly out there who is pro-Lincoln Project. So Yeah, so. <laughs> I was just lying here thinking... You were married eight times, and some of them were very good women. And I loved every one of them. Most of them were my friends, so it wasn't their fault. It's your fault. Now you're dragging around a married woman while you call all the others of us witches. I don't think so. You're the most evil person I've ever known in my life. So I have noticed that after the election, a lot of speaker pieces have gone back to, you know, the sort of salacious gossipy type but imagine being married eight times and each one of your wives is smoking hot i mean that's pretty tight pretty good pretty good pretty good record yeah i hope everyone <laughs> imagine that guy driving a truck around that says eight no on the back of the window eight <laughs> no for smoke shows marrying smoke shows i hope everyone enjoyed themselves on thanksgiving now let's talk a little about christianity Let's talk about the Easter Bunny. Hell, let's talk about the Tooth Fairy. Let's talk about Santa Claus. And then tell your children about Jesus Christ. What do you think is going through the minds of these little fellows? Just the fellows, though. Just the fellows. Christ is not pleased with what's going on in our churches, just so you know. He's not pleased with what's going on in the United States. You know who I am, a number one infidel, redneck, heterosexual, homophobic, racist bigot. I am American, God bless America. Oh, yeah. That was a little on the nose, and so I... Yeah, that's not... Yeah. To a certain young lady... Oh, this is my favorite genre, when somebody gets accused of being spotted at Fish Pond Lake. (laughs) To a certain young lady... 
What were you doing at Fish Pond Lake with the gentleman in the red F-150? He is not your man, and F-150, she's not your woman. <laughs> when you get up on the side of the bank at the picnic shelters, you think no one will see you, but here's your sign. So, um, two things about that. I frequent Fish Pond Lake. I, I like to go out there and walk and look at the ducks and um, see if I can see some bald eagles. Yeah, it's, it's good for all that. I've made love out there a few times, I'll be honest with you. <laughs> so it's not it's not unwarranted for, like, you know, yeah. um, to think that's what people go do up there. Yeah, so I guess what I'm saying is there are two activities that you can... Actually, there's, like, three main activities you can go to Fish Pond Lake for. And you could make some sort of Paul Thomas Anderson, Magnolia-type ensemble cast film just centered on Fish Pond Lake and all the stories that come in and out of it. But I guess you do have three archetypes. Okay, maybe four. I'll say, no, no, I'll put, I'll put this. You have the first, which is me. You go out there for the wildlife, for the wholesome shit. You go out there to look at the ducks, or maybe you fish, or maybe you take fall photos with your boo. Uh, you, you know, put a sweater on, and you have to go do that thing for 13 likes on your Instagram. Um, yeah. And then the second thing is you go out there to hook up. Uh, you go out there to get a hand job. Find a future sweater boo. <laughs> to what? To, to go test the waters with your future <laughs> sweater boo, potentially. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, or, or to make love in a Ford F-150. Terrible vehicle to make love in, by the way, unless you're in the, the back. Um. <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you. Last time I fucked at Fish Pond Lake, I fucked in this chick's truck that she was driving that was her man's F-150. <laughs> it's extremely disrespectful. Um, That's been many, many years ago, but still. Uh, well, perhaps this is about you. Um, and, then, and then the third type is people who go out there looking to catch people who are fucking at Fish Pond Lake. You know, voyeurs. Yeah. Um, yeah. Nosy... Uh, you know, people who keep their nose in other people's business. You know. Yeah. Uh, small town gossipers. Um, yeah. So, yeah, no, you've got those three archetypes. That they are all converging on this massive hole that was dug in the ground and just filled with water. <laughs> I guess it's mostly mine runoff. There's a few houses. It's a very unimpressive lake. Very honestly. unimpressive. There's a few houses at the bottom that you can take scuba yeah. lessons at, I think, and go check this out. Yeah. And apparently a catfish the size of a Volvo. <laughs> that has never been caught, but is rumored to exist. Yeah. And is now, and is now I guess, more than almost 30 years old. <laughs> to a certain lady on Ingram's Creek, you don't make videos on your telephone and then expect them not to get out, especially when you're a married lady. Well, your video's out, and I can tell you exactly what you had on. <laughs> You don't make videos like that if you don't want people passing it around. Uh, Scandalous. That's fucked up. See, I, I, that's, um, that's, that's no, you, that's a no-no. You don't want to pass around somebody's private video. That's why we have revenge porn laws. That's right. Dear Speak Your Peace, Joseph Robinette Biden might get to be president, but that doesn't mean he'll have an army. <laughs> All it'll take is one general thinking he stole that election, then he will have no army. <laughs> yeah, okay. I, the, the, 
That's a really hilarious idea. I mean, you know that that is the thing that the Trump people... I mean, because, like, the funny thing about the challenge the election thing is just how neutered it is, how, like, sort of impotent it is that they, like... I mean, literally, I mean, like, figuratively and literally in the person of Rudy Giuliani, you know what I mean? Like, um, yeah. if, if that's the head of your election-challenging thing, like, you're already impotent out the gate. You're way behind the eight ball. Right. But also, like, it's really funny that there was this vision over the course, there's this image over the course of the Trump years that the Trumpers were these, like, vicious you know right-wing brown shirt street thugs who were going to um you know fuck people up in the streets they were going to launch a coup or some sort of right-wing beer hall push but in at the end of the day they just want the lawyers to do it this right. <laughs> this person is now saying well we're not going to do it but if a general if one general it's all it took decided that the election was stolen which is really hilarious because that's not at all I mean, like, the entire army, you think the entire army would just be like, all right. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, all right, that's, well, let's do what this one 78-year-old fossil says. Oh, shit. I'm going to take some fertilizer and put around these blackberry briars on these old strip jobs, see if we can't bring them back to life. I'd like for others to jump in and help me if you would. Let's see how it works. Have a nice day. That's a good, wholesome one. I agree with the caller who spelled out the problems of overpopulation. This one's insane. So give credit to the president for putting over a quarter of a million Americans in their early graves with hundreds of thousands more certain to follow before Joe Biden steps in and puts a stop to it. This part, Woo! yeah, this, uh, a, a favorite in the liberal eugenicist category, for sure. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, is that it? Let's speak your piece for the week of December the 3rd, 2020. Yeah. Mountain Eagle, folks, it still screams after all these years. That's right. More or less. More or less. <laughs> it screams in agony. No longer <laughs> screams in opposition, but in agony. Yeah, well, that about covers it for this week. Sorry we did not give you your fabled Hillbilly Elegy episode. Um, These are the dog days, my friends. You're getting Terrence and Tom, Skeleton Crew, TNT. Um, We're just barely holding it together. (laughs) Here's the dog years, people. We're, uh, we'll be back at full strength soon, but we're like uh, we're like your favorite football team that's injury riddled. Right. <laughs> it's like our star quarterbacks out, our free safeties out. That's right. We're struggling. Yeah. Um, but thanks for t- thanks for hanging in there with us. Um, obviously, we couldn't do it without you. Thanks for making us the the two hundredth most popular podcast on Spotify. Uh, yeah, comedy that's podcast, big news. I guess I should say. Yeah. That means there's 200 other podcasts out there, or 199 other podcasts out there funnier than us. So, um, I, I agree with that. I guess I agree with that. <laughs> that's about, that's about, we're about solidly rated there, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm about a 200 guy. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's not, um, not, 
it's not unimpressive, but it's not impressive either. It's just <laughs> yeah, it's just it is what it is. It's like you said yesterday. It's it's an accurate ranking, an accurate rating. Yeah, just solidly um, rated, man. That's right. And also thank you to all the people who um, got my band tenure. Uh, over 11,000 streams. That was pretty tight. I did not expect that. Um, What's that going to yield for y'all? About $6? We got about probably $2.34 off of that. And so... (laughs) Nice. But that's okay. Um, That's okay. Um, But, you know, go and stream us on those platforms, both Drillbillies and Tenure and... um, if you want to you know help us pencil whip those numbers a little bit pad those stats out for next year for next year's Spotify wrapped um but also if you'd like to support us on Patreon you can do that please go to www.patreon.com slash trailbillyworkersparty and you can get all kinds of great content there. I will say the old premium episodes, like premium episodes 20 through 60. Well, through 90, really. Okay, all the there's some really good pre- old premium episodes I like to pull up every now and then to get a good laugh. That's right, I listen to my own podcast because I'm a solipsistic, uh, uh, egomaniacal. Gotta keep those stats. Gotta keep those stats padded, baby. That's right, that's right. No shame um, in it. Yeah, but there's a lot of good content there. We've got we have a lot of content. We have over what four hundred episodes at this point, or over three hundred or something. So that's a lot of shit. We've got quite an imprint. Quite an imprint. So go check it out. Work your ways through the back catalog, and uh, yeah, tell us what you think. Yeah. Also, if somebody can find the episode. We're, we we are accused of saying that everybody in Eastern Kentucky is either socialists or <laughs> conservatives. I, I see that, brother. I have no recollection of saying that. It's the most asinine thing in the world. I have no recollection of that either. I if see... I did say that, there's a good chance I was huffing glue before we recorded. <laughs> it gets thrown around a lot when people are trying to argue online about rural America. They They attribute this quote to us. No recollection. Please stop. (laughs) (laughs) Asking you to stop attaching us to that. Because it's definitely not true. There are many liberals in Kentucky. We call them y'all stars. They love mason jars. More than a few. And they love singing songs like Shady Grove to Castanetas and calling it politics. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah, I don't. It's just on the face of it, it's just not true. And I don't think anything that we've said. Reflect that, but maybe I'm wrong, and if so, I'll eat crow. But in the meantime, dude, I'm sure we said it. We definitely said it. It sounds like something we would say. It sounds like in like an episode four thing to have said, though. Yeah, I think you'd be surprised. I bet it's like an episode 107 thing, and you know, sometimes when you get so the thing is, we Tanya might have said it under duress. Yeah, this is the thing. Like we do this live improv, no planning. And when you're in the middle of making an argument, you'll say fucking anything to prove your point. <laughs> yeah, if you get you get caught on your feet, man, you'll say fucking yeah, any goddamn thing. Yeah, so I, I appreciate the 
I appreciate being someone's proxy in an argument, but also it's it is false. Uh, yeah, it's just not true. Yeah. <laughs> um. Anyways, thanks for listening, everybody. Please go to the Patreon, and um, we will see you next time over there. Have a great rest of the week, and uh, go with God. Bye-bye.